Here we go, here we go. Welcome to Police Pod Talk. Whoop, whoop, it's the police. Don't look in your rearview mirror. This podcast covers the latest police news along with hitting the hot topics you've been talking about all week. I'm your host, Cleveland. Thank you for joining us. Hey folks, welcome back to Police Pod Talk again this week. We're going face-to-face, we're talking to people, and I've got a very special guest with me today. It's Janet Tinsley. Janet Tinsley, you can say hello to the people out there. Hello. (laughs) Let them know you're here. She has agreed to come and speak with me today, and we're not sure how long we're going to talk, but we're going to talk about her daughter, April, April Tinsley. Uh, just by me saying that, I know a lot of listeners out there probably already know what I'm going to talk about, but you don't know what I'm going to talk about. We <laughs> want to hear it straight from Janet. Janet, thank you very much for being here today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, and I'm going to let you begin because we have no clue how long we're going to talk, but I want you to talk about what happened and share that with the listeners. And I know we're going to get a lot of people asking questions later through an email or however they want to get in touch with me. But I want you to talk talk about your daughter and talk about what happened on April 1st, 1988, if you'd like. Um, on that day, it was April Fool's Day and Good Friday. We were already excited. She got out of school um, around 11 o'clock. She come home, ate lunch, and then she goes, she wanted to go over to her friend's house. So I said, okay. Walked her to the corner because she had to cross Creighton Avenue. That street's usually busy all the time. So I cro- walked her across that, and she went up to her friend's house. I go, be back, you know, by 3 o'clock that way because we're supposed to have another rainstorm and didn't want you to get caught in it. So she said, okay. And all of a sudden, about 4, 4.30 came, I called up there, and they said that, she left their house, so she should have been home. So we walked up back up there to see if we can find her anywhere. Couldn't find her. And then I called the police, and they said you had to wait a couple hours to make sure she didn't wander off somewhere. And so I waited until 6 o'clock, and she didn't come home then, so I called. And then they um, put it out as a runaway, and I'm sitting there, an 8-year-old. And then by midnight, it was, first it was a runaway, then it was, I think, abduction or kidnap. One of the, nothing there. Okay. From what I understand, they didn't do nothing until, I think, the next day. Then they started searching. I had, like, over 300 people going all around the riverbank. You name it, we were looking in trash cans. We were looking at empty garage, banded houses. We were looking in everything, every nook and cranny, all around there, thinking she was there. And that's when on the, I think the 4th, when they found her, that, when they found her in Spencerville, and I was sitting there, that's like 20-some miles away, and I'm sitting there, how did she get there? And then they kept asking me if I knew who did it, and I'm sitting there, sure, I sure, sure I know who did it, yeah, let's just get Blame it on me. I said, there, I don't know who would take her. She has no enemies. We had no enemies, because I really never talked to people. And then found out they um they arrested one guy prior to the one they got, because he was at, I guess he was at a party, and they were bragging what color clothes she had on, socks, underwear, stuff like that. I was saying there, someone that either was there talking, or he knew who who did it. So they were questioning him and everything else. And then they go, well, we're going to keep you in the loop, tell you what's going on up to a certain point. And I said, well, I, yeah, I would like to know what's going on. There never be days, won't hear nothing. No phone call, no tick, no, no nothing. I got to back you up. I, I got to stop you and back you up because my mind keeps going backwards here. <laughs> So you had a bunch of people out searching and looking. You had no clue where to look, but you had people looking, yeah. right? And you guys were doing your own search party. Oh, yeah. And you'd already been in contact with the police saying, hey, she's not home. And it's 6 o'clock, and then they, they wait, and it's midnight. She's still not. And they put her out as a runaway at first, right? Right. Okay, I want to make sure I understood that. And did they put her out as a missing or a, a kidnapping or something around midnight? Yeah. What what made them what made them 
do that? Did they think she was, or did they have I information? I have no idea, because I know they had it going in different sections. Mm-hmm. And then after they didn't hear anything um, with her coming forward, then that by the next morning, that that's when they put it out as abduction. All right, and now i got to go back again. You said there was, <laughs> they, they end up arresting some guy. Because, yeah. Because he was running his mouth about bragging about her clothes. Was he right in the description of her clothes and underwear? Yeah. He was right. Yeah. So obviously, like you said, he knew something. Yeah, Someone, he either knew knew who did it or he um, did it himself. When they, we found out about him, they arrested him for molesting his girlfriend's 11-year-old daughter. Okay, so that gentleman who they arrested and was bragging, did his name ever come up ever again as mm, being involved? No. All right, now I'm sorry I had to stop you because I, <laughs> I wanted to clear those things up. Okay, so you said days had gone by, you hadn't heard anything. Uh, yes. They weren't telling you, so go ahead from there. Then what happened? After that, we um, had all the people that we um, you know, had out there, they would contact the police department and tell them, but we have not found her she's not here not in the general area what's going on and i even i would go down to the victim's assistance when they had where you can go up the escalators and i would go in there and talk to miss pat i would go down there like two me two three times a week and we'll just sit there and just talk and mm-hmm. talk about her and pat well she would go and find out if they, if they got any updates any leads or anything like that and we had one officer I talked to mostly, and that was Dan Camp. He was like my number one go-to. I, I told him, I go, any updates? And he goes, when I get them, I'll let you know. You'll be the first one to get them. And I sitting there, all right. Then it would be days. It could be weeks, mm-hmm. and we would not know nothing. Now, this was after she was found. Right. Okay, so on the day she was found... What phone call or how did you get notified? They um, came by the house, supposed to do an interview with Wayne TV. Mm-hmm. I had her picture. I was holding her picture, and we were getting ready to do an interview. And here comes an unmarked car, pulls up, and they get out, and they said the interview is stopped. And I'm like, dumbfounded, it's like something's up, something's happening. So we went back upstairs. He goes, I got something to show you. I'd rather have you sitting down. I just put my son down for a nap, and I was, I'm the only one there. And they um, showed me a picture, and they go, we found a jogger, found a body laying on the side of the road. I'm sitting there thinking, don't let it be, don't let it be, don't let it be. And then when they showed me how she was laying, what clothes she had on, I was sitting there. That's it. I knew the jacket, the, and they go, does she normally wear her clothes inside out? And I'm sitting there, no. It was that, that wasn't the way when she left the house. And they go, okay, that makes more sense. When they told us where they found her, it's like a hole just opened up, swallowing you in there. It's like everything just closed up. And I'm sitting there, I got to call this person, this. I got to get a hold of this. I got to do this. I got to do that. I said, I probably missed so many people. I said, there, to let them know. And then they um, they told me I had to come up to the hospital in Spencerville to um, identify the body to make sure it was actually her. I said, the picture, look, picture was her, but um, to identify. And then when we, I walked in, and I, well, I wanted my sister to go with me. They told me I couldn't have my sister. I had to have the minister with me. And I'm sitting there. That don't make no sense. So me and the pastor went in there, and he, the doctor goes, I can't show you the whole body. I said, well, I didn't ask to see the whole body. I said, I can imagine. And all I said, I just need to see the side of her head and the front. I can tell you if it's her. And the way she was laying and the way she was sleeping, I knew it was her, and I told him, yes, it's her. Ever since that day, I was like, it just went, like, my life just went, like, downhill. I was mainly overprotective of my younger son. So did it make sense as to why you needed your minister there? Yeah, in a way it did. After everything was over, I understood why they um, wanted him to come in with me. He goes, 
we'll go outside the door and we'll say a little prayer for her. That's when we did that. And, and then we walked down the hall. My sister and my husband's sister and all them were all down there, and they kept going, is it her, is it her, is it her? I just kept walking straight out the door. You never answered. I never answered. I just kept right on and going. I don't know if the minister says yes, it was, or what. I just kept going towards the car. I was quiet all the way, and um, the preacher goes, well, we need some. We need to get something to drink. And this is like 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. And I said, I just want to go home to my my son. They uh, stopped at, a, I think it was Azar's. Everybody goes, you can get coffee or whatever you want to drink. And they kept asking me if I was hungry. When was the last time I ate? And I said, there about a day and a half. I think it was like a day, day and a half. And they go, why ain't you been eating? I said, well, if she can't eat, I don't want to eat. They went and got a hamburger and fries and said, eat it. And I tried to eat some of it, and it was like, I can't, it's like you just can't eat. And you had people around you just sitting there staring at you because you're sitting there bawling your eyes out, and you got, you're crying. You can tell that somebody's been crying. And and then there's one table on the, um, the right side of us. They had three guys at it, and they were laughing. And they'll go, I wonder why that woman's crying. I stood up and says, well, if you had to bury your, you had to identify your child's body, you'd be crying too. So you had a lot of family around you, plus the minister. Right. And it was kind of more, you were in a fog on what was going on, and you weren't hungry, you, you couldn't eat. Yes. Oh, man. So eventually you had to pull it together enough to do a funeral, right? Right. And, and that, did you have all the help from your friends and family then? Yeah, we had a lot of help, and all the people that was involved in searching for wanted to come and pay their respects and everything. It was like you had to go through a metal detector to get into the funeral because they were searching everybody that walked in. There's certain ones, if you look kind of sketchy, mm-hmm. you wasn't coming. And I was sitting there, well, that's half of Fort Wayne there. there. <laughs> <laughs> so they... um kept telling us that there's only certain ones that can come in didn't have enough you know room i said well all they have to do is just get in line come see the body and walk right back out the door right they don't have to stay so we had approximately maybe about 150 people first day then we had i don't know how many we had the second day but we had one that got me this little girl come in with her mom and had a pink, a pink, blue, and purple outfit on. And she goes, her mom goes, she wanted April to have this. And she goes, you can take it home and give it to your other child. And I said, there, well, I don't think my son would want a pink stuffed animal. So I go, you want me to let April have it? And I said, I'll put it in her casket and she can keep it with her. That's what I did. I laid it right next to her arm. We, um... Walked in there, go, you want to go with me? And she didn't want to go. I said, okay, I'll do it myself. That's when we did it. I had another child come in. I can't remember what animal it was. We got that one. We put it in the casket. The time we got done, she probably had like six animals with her. Funeral director goes, do you want these animals back? I said, no, keep them in there. That day, it seemed like it was, I was burning the fog the three days and then when we had the barrier and everybody goes well you need you can you can leave now and come back later and i said nope i'm going to watch you lower down i said this is this is my only daughter i said no i'm i'm not going nowhere and they go well okay because they not supposed to do it when family members are there i guess I said, no, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm sitting right here. And I sat right there. I didn't move until they got done. So after the funeral, this is when the whole waiting period started. Oh, yeah. When you're getting a little bit of information, you're in in contact with uh, Dan Camp, and he's talking to you. You're going to victim's assistance, talking to them, and you're not getting anything. Because did you ever find out what happened? I mean, yes, they found her on the side of the road. But did you ever find out what happened, how she got there? Did you find that out? No, not in so many. When we first found out that she got there, and I, I asked them how she, you know, how she got there, and they said that whoever picked her up drove her there. 
And from what I understand, the guy that they arrested now never drew. His brother or uncle, one of them, would drive him around. And I'm sitting there. How, if they only got him and not the other person, they'll go, well, we don't have nothing on the other person. I'm saying there, well... I kept telling them from day one that there was had to be two people. And they go, well, how you expect two? I said, one, somebody had to drive the vehicle. Two, someone would have to jump out the other side of the vehicle to grab the child and put it in the vehicle. I said, wouldn't that make sense? And they go, yes. I said, then, duh, search the other person. And for a long period of time, they kept telling us there's only one person. I said, well, how in the world at around 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you're going to pull on the side of the road, the person going to get out of the vehicle, run around the vehicle, grab the child, open up the side door, throw it in, close it, run around the car, and get back in without the child screaming. Or, no, it don't make no sense. And they go, well, yeah, I said, I, I might as well just learn how to be a private investigator because I'm doing more than you guys are. When did, when did you finally find out what actually happened to her that made her end up on the side of the road? You, know, you don't know who did it, but when did they ever come tell you, this is what we know? Um, it wasn't too long after we had to go up there to the hospital to identify her body. Then um, they... Uh, came and they go, since it's identified her as April, and then it got out that April was found, we um, are still investigating. And that's what they kept telling us. It was like, I think it was probably about two days later when they kept telling us that we're still working on it. We got leads. We got people calling in. We seen this guy, and he looked like this guy, and... Then the sketches, the woman that lived up there by where she was abducted at said that this guy looked like six foot tall, muscular type dude, and he had blonde hair and blonde mustache. And the description that she gave it was like, that's uh, my brother. And my brother worked at Fairfield School. And I said, there, no. So I called my brother. <laughs> I go, where were you on this day? <laughs> and he goes, he was at Lutheran Hospital getting ready to have back surgery. And I sat in there, well, you ain't it, but they got you as suspect. <laughs> and so I told the detectives, I sat in there, you want him? I'll tell you where he's at. He's on the second floor, Lutheran Hospital. He just had back surgery. And so they went up there and questioned him and, he told him, no, I was in the hospital two days before she came up missing. So it ain't me. I was in there. Shh. I didn't want to have to kill my own brother. <laughs> <laughs> so there was, there was a long span of time. During the time they finally told you everything and narrowed down a suspect, can you remember about how long was that? I mean, I'm sure it was years, but. Yeah, there was like two, three years that there was n we would not hear nothing mm -hmm. and we keep texting them email and the one detective that they had on the case her, her and me didn't you know we didn't go together right we crashed because mm -hmm. every time i would call her or we would email she'll say we can't tell you this i said i didn't ask that and i just want to know what the update is and they go we're working on the case we will let you know what, if anything comes up, we'll let you know. And it'll be another year. It was like total maybe five years, not nothing. And then I had America's Most Wanted contact me. They go, can we come down and do an interview? I said, come on down. I don't care if I make, I don't care if I make the whole city of Indiana mad. Come to Kentucky and we'll have an interview. And it was supposed to be... Three of us, me, my husband, and my son. All of a sudden, my husband and my son dips out through the back door, and I'm the only one in there, and I'm for like two hours stuck right there on TV. And I'm sitting there, oh, paybacks. I'm going to remember this. Whenever you all want something, you ain't going to get it. 
But they did that, and they sh- had sh- showed p- her picture, me holding her picture, and going through the photo album and stuff like that, and talking about her. Then I get an email from the one detective. goes, why are you put it on? De-? I said, well, you guys ain't doing nothing. I'm getting it out there. And all of a sudden, it's like the next day, I get a, an email from the female detective goes, when was these pictures taken, and who who took them, and why they took them? And I'm sitting there, huh? What what pictures are we talking about? Um, they they mailed um they sent us some pictures on the internet on the computer, and um it was pictures of April that was sent to the police department. Okay. And I'm sitting there. Oh, I didn't send you no pictures. So I looked at them, and it's the same pictures that we have. They go, do you know who took them? And I said, they're, they're home pictures. I said, more likely it was her dad mm-hmm. took the pictures. I emailed them back. I said, I don't know how you guys got them because we didn't mail them to you. From that, I I have no idea if they ever found out you know, who actually sent them. Well, let me make sure I understand. Someone sent the police department photos right. of April. Yep. But you guys didn't do it. Nope. Did they say who they came from? Uh-uh. But they wanted to know who took the picture. Yeah. And they were just normal family pictures that you right. guys have. But how did this other person get their hands on these pictures? That's what we were trying to figure out. We we have no idea from from today, back then. We, we still ain't figured out who, who had them, you know, who sent them to them. I said, I have no idea. And she um, said that they one of them got mailed to them. And I said, there, does it have any forward address? And from what I get, they didn't have none, I guess. Right. And I'm sitting there, okay. Looking into a little bit of this, it was in 1990, between 1990 and 2004, I guess there were some messages, there was something written on the side of a barn. Like yeah. Like the guy was taunting the police. Uh, do, you, do you remember any of that? Did they, yeah. Okay, what did they tell you about that? They said it was the same guy and... I'm sitting there. The locations that they had him in, I said, what? He's getting around. I said, no, I don't think it's the same guy. The, the same guy that maybe kidnapped her? Yeah, they're thinking it's him doing, saying, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. You haven't caught me yet. I'm letting you know that I am still out doing things. Because they said they have one barn that said that, um, had her name spelt right, and then there was another place that they had that misspelled her name. I was sitting there thinking, yeah, they're doing that so to throw the case off. Right. Now, do you remember where it was at? I'm not sure where the barn was, but they had, they kept showing it. And I know it was a, like a rural area, and it was, someone had um guy that the house so we're not sure if it was the actual guy writing the stuff on the barn uh, wall or if it was someone pretending to be the guy, right? Right. Okay. But they were misspelling the names and maybe trying to throw the police off or whatever. Yeah. Okay. And there was, there was a point where someone put a note on a little girl's bicycle. Did you know about that? Yeah. but um, See, I think we were li- we moved to Kentucky because they told me to g- I needed to get out of Indiana for a while when we did. We heard that whoever it was was going around all the neighborhoods looking for bicycles. And if it looked like a little girl rode the bicycle, he was putting notes on the bike. And one, I think one segment that they um, had that he put used condoms in it. And I said, there, well, there you go. There's your DNA. I don't know what came out of that one. They said they um, had three different things, and I kept telling them, it ain't the dude that you you should have his DNA. It's not the right dude. There's two dudes. I, I kept going, kept going back, kept telling them, mm-hmm. it's two. There's two people. It's not one person. It's two people. So you still you still felt that strong yeah, about Yeah, I still feel that there, there is another person out there. Even to this day? Yeah. Even this day? Yep. Okay, and now this went on for years. You moved to Kentucky. Right. You were still trying to stay in contact. When did you finally get that one call when they said, hey, we're going to do this DNA thing and send it away? It was right, I think it's right when we moved back here. 
because we moved back in 2013. Right after we moved back here, that's when my husband had a small heart attack. Between that and October, they were, but I think it was, it wasn't too long after we come back that we um, found out they um, had it while they were going around trying to discourage us. And I was sitting there like, okay, people. When you say they were trying to discourage you, what, did that, what does that mean? You know, they're trying to see if we were, maybe we did it because they claim we we had to go do a dance, um, take a lighter to I guess according to them, we flunked it. And I was sitting there, well, you asked me the question and I told you what I know. And they go, well, you flunked the lie detector, so you're guilty. I said, no, I didn't kill my own child. That was my only daughter. I was sitting there. For one, when I was 16 years old, I said, when I got married, my first child's going to be a little girl. She's going to have blonde, curly hair, and she's going to have blue eyes. And her name was going to be April Marie. And they go, uh, yeah, okay. So when I got married and they had my first child, it was blonde hair and blue eyes, little girl. And that's when they found out I had twins. April would have been a twin if her twin would have lived. After that, it was like they tried to so much throw, keep throwing us you know, for a loop, saying, that, yeah, Daddy did it. And I said, there, no. Wait, this, this is what the police were saying to you? Yeah. So when they would bring you in to talk to you, they were saying these things that they believe you and your husband yeah, were involved. Yeah, because I guess a uh, few years before that, I guess that that one didn't make a national news or something like that. I guess a father kept beating his son, threw it down a flight of stairs, took it out in the back backyard and buried their son in the backyard. And then reported to the police department that their son was kidnapped. And it took them a while to figure it out and found out that there was a body in the backyard. So they assumed we were like that. I okay. said, no, no, no way. I wouldn't... I might want to kill somebody else, but I ain't going to do it to my own child. So this was after you guys came back from Kentucky. Right. They talking to you. So there had to be a point where they told you, hey, we're working on something else with DNA. Did they ever tell you that? Yeah, they came to us and goes, um, we're ta- thinking about um, doing the DNA ancestry with um, Cece Moore, and I'm sitting there. I looked at my husband, and he looked at me, and I said, there, started laughing. And they go, why are you laughing? I said, didn't I tell you guys to do this a long time ago? And you guys said you couldn't do it because it would be, how they say, invading their privacy, other people's. I said, there, no, do your job. I said, there, I might as well join the, the group. I said, I'm doing more than you are. So there's uh, there was some frustration. Oh, yeah, on. there was. I, I kept telling them. Every time they they would talk to me more, and they would, most of them goes, well, they don't. No one mentions you. I said because they don't know see you. I said they don't even know you exist. I said he does the back background stuff. I said there, you know, you don't you don't want to interview interview my son because he'll tell you exactly like it. He'll tell you straight up. He won't cut no be. You be bleeping him out every. I think about every word. Well, no, Bob. This time, how was old was your son? Because he was he was younger than April, right? Um, he's five years younger than April is. Um, when we were in Kentucky, he was he was a teenager, and then when we moved back up here, let's see, he's thirty eight now, and he's been up here since two thousand fourteen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he was probably he was in his mid twenties. With all of this going on. They finally say we're going to do this DNA thing, and they have a company they're going to send some DNA away to and see if they can figure out. Yeah. How long did that take? And I mean, I'm sure there's another waiting period. You're still waiting. Oh yeah, because first first time they did it, they said that the DNA was degraded. I said yeah because you waited so long to do the DNA, mm-hmm. and then I don't know what they did. They sent another sample. That one came came through, and it was like another waiting. We contact, talk down them, and email, tech, and it's like anybody gonna say anything? And they go, "Well, we're waiting. We're right. still on the case. We're working it." And I said, there, "Yeah, you're working it all right. Working it so slow." It got to the point it was irritating. People kept would ask me questions. I would snap at them. I said, mm-hmm. "There, if you only knew." 
at one of April's dedication, I think it was dedication to her garden. Mm-hmm. And then they go, we got a special guest that wants to see you. And I don't know who this person is. And then all of a sudden, this town car pulled up. They opened up the door for it was C.C. Moore, and I'm like, oh, okay. I had 15, 21, and 55, like, right here. Right. She moved everybody out of the way and come up and goes, I, I want to meet you. I want to give you a hug. It gave me a dang bear hug. I thought she was trying to suck me right through her end, out yeah. the other end. I was like, <laughs> God, I couldn't breathe. <laughs> but I was in there. I talked to her. For a long time, we sat on her bench, and we just sat, sat there and talked. After that, it was probably maybe a week or two, she would text me. We would do a video chat. I said, yep, she's my, she's my next number one buddy. So C.C. Moore was the one who worked at the lab, right? Right. Okay. She's the one that put to, put it all together because mm-hmm. she was doing working as the ancestry that's when they found out the guy that they arrested now they found his d well the dna from his brother i guess the ancestry part came up and it was his brother so wait 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 before you go any further (laughs) so the first guy they arrested his dna matched what was found but it was his brother's dna um and i want to make sure i understand that (laughs) well the first guy that they arrested what was his name? The one that they originally, who was bragging, who was talking about the closing. Ever Shaw. They arrested him for three days. Mm-hmm. They claimed that the DNA matched his, but then again, they said that they can't hold him on to anything. They can hold him on bragging, but they can't hold him on child molesting. And I was sitting there, okay, and we knew this bike group that lived candy corner from us. They go, when is he being released? I said, today. Mm. And then they had, right across from the sheriff's department, they mm-hmm. had, I think, about 30 or 40 bikes waiting mm-hmm. for him. And they said, if he runs, he's ours. They kept they kept coming out of the building telling everybody that they need to leave. And I said, no, mm-hmm. you don't have to leave because it's a public street. And you're not on their side. You're on the parking lot side. It was it a motorcycle group? Oh, yeah. And they, they were yeah, wanting to help you. Yeah, they <laughs> They told us that if he runs, we'll get him. So, no, again, this was the guy who they originally arrested. Yep. Who was bragging. Yep. Okay. Did he ever come out of the door? Yeah, he come out, and they walked him to the corner, and he just crossed the street and just started walking normal like he, mm-hmm. nothing there you had. So did he have anything to do with it? They found out later on that he didn't have nothing to do with April, but he did have something to do with his girlfriend's daughter. Okay. But now this guy was not related at all to the actual guy that did it. No. Okay, so I I made a mistake. I wasn't listening properly. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the DNA that C.C. Moore ended up matching through Ancestry, it didn't match the actual killer, but it matched his brother. Yeah, the one they got now. Okay. All right, I'm going to let you go ahead from there since I, since I interrupted you, but you go right ahead. <laughs> I, I got it now. I wanted to make sure I understand it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, the was her doing the DNA. They said that um, the ancestry went through his family profile, and it led to his John's um, brother, and I guess that's the only family member that it came up with, as far as I know of. Then they said that they went to his trailer where he lived at, and they were talking, telling us about all what went on before that. And I said, in there, wasn't that like a red flag right there? I said, you had him working at Walmart. He was a greeter. And you moved him into the toy, st- toy department. And y'all said he was a little sketchy and acting weird. And then where his trailer is, he lived right across the street from ballpark where little girls played ball. And I said, there, now, don't that sound a little funny? Well, but they didn't know that until after they got him, right? I get, I, um, from what I got from Sergeant Martin, from what I got from him is that they've been up there a couple times, you know, searching. And I said, where were you, where was you searching at? They go, we can't tell you that. I said, oh, I can probably imagine. My mind goes everywhere. Then they said that they, when they got the results back from the DNA and then went back up there, I guess they went through his trash. 
they said that what they found they can't disclose. Well, there's probably not a lot of things in there I want to know. They said, well, we did find used condoms. I guess, okay. So then they knocked on his door, and he answered the door, and he they go, you know why we're here? And he goes, yeah, you're here to arrest me for April Tinsley. He knew. So, again, here, here I am trying to understand it. They actually knew who he was, but they went and did some surveillance on him. Yep. Keeping an eye on him, watching him. And they saw him working in Walmart. Yeah, he worked at Walmart they for a while. And they knew he was in the toy store yep. uh, part of Walmart. They knew he lived across the street from the ballpark. Yep. So, But they were keeping an eye on him. That's right. And that's why they ended up going to get his trash and went through, okay, now I understand. Okay. And he, he just flat out said, you're here to arrest me. Yep. He when didn't, they, when, didn't. <laughs> yeah, when they knocked on his door and he answered it, first thing he said, you're here for because of April Tinsley. It's like he, he knew that they were going to be coming soon. Right. Wow. So this whole time. Now, how many years from the time, we were talking about April 1st, 1988, until the time they ended up finally knocking on his door, how many years had gone by? 30 years. 30 years. Yep. And you were living with this that entire time. Yep. Waiting for phone calls, waiting for something. Yep. And you were, a- you were frustrated. Oh, Yeah. Every time somebody could say something, I said, if it didn't wasn't what I wanted to hear, right? I was because I kept calling, I kept texting, I email. There'd be days I won't get nothing, and then I always communicated with Dan Camp. But mm-hmm. then when he left, I still see him every now and then. But mm-hmm. they, they, I mean, I wouldn't know Dilly Squat, and it'd be like, still be days that I won't. I won't know nothing, and with the 30 years that we had to wait, everybody keeps saying, well, we're still working on it. We're still mm-hmm. working on the case. We're still getting gathering all the evidence and everything, and I go, do you have anything in her file that you guys can give us? And they go, well, we'll see what we can find that don't ain't something that you can't live with. And I'm sitting there. First, the one um, state cop goes, we can't give you her clothes. I said, I don't exactly want her clothes back. I sat in there. Is there anything in her file, pictures, or something that you can give us that we can have? And they go, well, we, we, we'll look through the um, boxes and find out if we can find anything that we can give you. And the one guy said they, he had like eight or nine boxes. And Brian Martin, he had... I can't remember exactly how many he had. He said he had a lot of boxes that, and then there's what's in the storage. And right. he goes, well, we'll have to go through them all and find something that you guys. And I still, from the time they arrested him, they um, we still ain't got nothing from him. It really didn't take that long once he was arrested for no. him to admit that he did it. Yeah. And him be sentenced. Because I think, what did he get, 80-something years? He got 80 years. 80 years, okay. Yeah, we're supposed to got the death, um, according to what we were told, they were bringing back the electric chair. Hmm. He was going to be put to death. That's when Karen Richards decided to talk to, they talked to the, um, his defense attorneys. They all agreed that death penalty, the what we wanted, we wasn't going to get. So they did a plea bargain give him 80 years, and they wanted me to sign a paper saying I agreed to the 80 years, and I told them, I'll go, you ain't going to get me to sign nothing because hmm. there ain't no way I'm signing it. They go, this is best. I said, why? He needed to be put to death just like he did her. Mm-hmm. I sat in there. I kept telling, and then I kept going, and while they kept talking about that 80 years is good for him, and I said, there, he ain't going to get 80 years. And they go, why not? I said, because you're giving him good credit for why he was in jail, and that's 107 days that he got taken off his sentence. And then the programs that he's on, if he graduates from them, he gets less sentence. So he's got to serve like 35 years before it's in, and, and they go, well, he gets to appeal. No, his rights and his appeals, he don't have none. I go, I go. he has to serve the whole years. And they go, well, if he, he gets the good behaviors and all that, and I said, they're still not giving him the 80 years. 
I said, and you need to do what you say, give him the full max. And they go, well, what he's getting is, is good. He's he's off the street. And I said, and well, yeah, that's true, too. But I kept going back to where I keep telling you that there's two people. I said, it ain't just him. There's two people. There's another one out there that you don't know nothing about. I said, and keep telling him, go, but go, go, go get his brother. It's either his brother or his uncle or whoever lived a couple blocks from us. I said, you want somebody knows something because one will be driving the vehicle. He could been doing no one knows what, and he could been the one doing it, but the other person's doing the driving. Mm-hmm. And I, told, kept, I kept going from today all the way back then. I kept telling them there's two people. So the guy that did it, he never had to testify. He never had to say what he did, or did he? Yeah, he was in court. He was supposed to got up, stand up, and read his statement, but he didn't do it. His attorneys read his statement. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to look at us. He wouldn't look up. Mm-hmm. He looked down at the table. He he kept looking at the table. The only time he looked up is when the judge said something to him, and he would look up at the judge mm-hmm. and talk to the judge. And I was sitting there like, yeah. My, and my son... He was in the courtroom on the last last day of the sentence when they were going to sentence him. And my son was sitting there, his hand and his leg was just shaking. And my son, I go, don't you dare jump over. The, don't you dare jump. Mm-hmm. I said, because you're being watched. My son, he was like, from here, I say probably little boys from you. It, it's like, yeah. My son goes, uh-uh. I'll jump over this. and I said, well, if you went to jail, you wouldn't be going for long. I said, because the whole courtroom was pretty much police force. I said, you'd be out in no time. Finally, he was sentenced. During this entire time, you, your son's growing up. You and your husband are walking in through this nightmare. Who was helping you? Who was counseling you? Who were you talking to? For a while, well, when we first started out, it was victim's assistance. I would go down there and talk to the one lady, Pap, three or four times. And then when we moved to Kentucky, I didn't have nobody. When we come back, pretty much didn't sit down one-on-one and talk to somebody about everything. So it's like I did my own counseling to myself. It's like meditate, just sit there and look at her pictures and just sit there and talk to her. I said, that's pretty much... What got me through most of it, and they go, I know a lot of people kept telling me, I couldn't do what you do. And I said, there, well, at the time, I took myself out of the, like, out of my body, and I wasn't existing. And they go, why would you do that? I said, there, because I had, at the time when she come up missing, I had a two-year-old son. And I said, there, from then to now, it's like, it's overprotective. I wouldn't let him pretty much out of my sight. It took me until he was 11 years old to let him be home alone. And everywhere I went, he was there. And they go, you being overprotective? I said, no, no. And even today, him being 38 years old, and when he goes to work, he texts me or calls me and lets me know he made it to work. And I said, that's a good boy. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. No. So how's he doing? He's doing pretty good now, but if he's got, at one point, he has a lot of, he still does, he's still got a lot of anger in him. Because when he, he remembers when him and his sister would get up on the back end of the couch and sit there and jump off on the, the couch himself, because my husband Mike would come home from work, and I go, he goes, I'm going to lay down on the couch for a few minutes. I said it. You know that's the mistake you're going to make. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden you hear some voices in the background because, come on. And here comes April holding it, holding brother's hand. She, she'll go, you go over here, climb up on this arm. And April's on this arm. They'll get on the back of the couch. And my son Paul goes, exactly, does exactly what she's doing. And then they hold hands and she'll go, one, two, 
Once you get to three, they jump. One lands on his his legs and his butt, one on his back, and he'll go, oh, dear Lord. I said, I told you it was a mistake to make. And they did it like three times, and they thought it was funny. They were laughing. And then it it's Paul will be on this side, April's on this side. Then when they do it again, it, they switch sides, and it's like, <laughs> I told him, I go, you made a mistake of laying down there now. Well, I think he knew what he was doing. He knew but, what he was going to get. Yeah, he he, he, re, he remembers all that. Yeah. And, well, good. And then he, he knows what the stories, what people's, you know, mm-hmm. talked and what me and his dad says. Because it was like he was... Mom, approximately probably about 10, and I sat him down and explained to him and told him exactly what happened to his sister and why we won't let you out by yourself too much, and he understands. So I got to take you back to his attorney reading the statement. Did he ever say why he did what he did? Oh, yeah. Why? He was bored. Okay. Had he known her from the past? No. He just picked her? Yeah, he said that um, it was supposed to have been. He was. They said that he was driving around block two or three times. I was in there. Ain't that suspicious, right there? Somebody same vehicle going around the block two or three times, driving slow, and you see three little girls playing out on the corner of the yard. That ain't suspicious. And so that um, I guess the last time he went around the block, the. Two other girls went into one house, and April was coming around the corner to go to um, her friend at Cole's house to get her umbrella. April never made it to around the corner. How did he get her into the car? That I don't know, because they said that she walked up to, first they were assuming that she walked up to the vehicle, and I said, no, she was shy and bashful. I said, she won't even go in her own uncle's car. I said, the only person that she would go to and be in a car with is her grandpa. I said, no, he would have, you would have to um, drag her where she gets. And they said they probably had like a puppy or something. They bribed her. I said, there, she knows not to get into no stranger's car. She knows, don't believe what what anybody says. If you feel uncomfortable, you run. I said, she knows all what, she knows what to do. And they kept telling me that, now she had she just probably got in the vehicle because they probably um, said that they were friends with the family and that and, and she's not knowing who all we know and but I told her I go you don't even get in car if it's family you just tell them you're still playing and you know just come on home by yourself don't get in the car. So that's the best answer he had. Yeah. Did he say what he did with her? You're talking from the first to the fourth. Did he say how long he held on to her? No. Did he say when he finally put her by the side of the road? I guess the way they estimated that she was placed there the same day she they killed her. So he really didn't help you get a clear picture on what was going. What uh-uh. happened? We were like in a fog all the way from pretty much down there because I know they sent two detectives down there take DNA swabs from us and I said well that's twice they did that to me and I sat in there told my husband I said well I guess I'm guilty I might as well just turn myself in Hmm. after that we never heard anything about our DNA testing then they did another test after we come back here I sat in there well how many D swabs do I have to do if I ain't guilt I ain't involved in it why do I have to keep doing it? I said, you, you, if you guys are lost as much as I am, you're trying to blame it on somebody. I said, there, I mean, there's a lot of people out there, but get the right person. So that was a long time. Oh, yeah. There was there was a long time. long, long time. There was like eight years of one, and it's like. Yeah. And then after you got to 88 to now, it's like 30 years, and then five, six years ago, it's like. I said, well, I can breathe a little better. Mm -hmm. So there's constant, there's vigils in the garden. I I saw you guys had a garden. Yeah. Tell me about that. Um, The people who own the the land, they live up on Williams and Oakland. They go, we're giving you half their lot. Mm -hmm. And they donated that 
And I said, well, yeah, I go, that's cool. I, I love it. And they go, we can plant, you can plant whatever you want. So they had um, Stucky's green hat. They um, come every year. She go, the lady goes, every year when it comes spring, I will be planting flowers till the day I die. And I said, well, well that's one dedication. And they got, let's see, there's one, two, three, four trees. You got a couple different flowers, plants. They have um, two benches. We had to cement them down because we had, they had spotted one guy, some, I don't know where he come from, but he tried to steal one of the benches. You have to watch what you put down on that garden because somebody will come up there and walk off with it. I said, there, man, as low as you can go. Right. It's still not over for you, is it? No. It's still not over for your husband or your son. No. Uh, because every time they go, when they have, like, interviews on TV and stuff, and it shows me talking, they'll go, they don't they just talk about you. I said, there, well, yeah, because I was doing the interview. But I always mention you guys. I said, there, she does have a dad. Right. And she does have another brother. Mm-hmm. I said, there, I'll mention their names. And I said, there, it would be nice if you would put them in to the story. Because they act like they're not mm-hmm. part of the family anymore. They're You're just a stranger. Right. It's just me. No, I think it's impacting your entire family, right? <laughs> right. Right. I want you to tell us, let the listeners know, in the eight years, April was with you. Tell us about April. April was shy and bashful. I always told her when she grew up, she was going to be a model. Because every five minutes, she would have something else on. She changed clothes more in an average day than anybody else would. I mean, I can go through the whole day with just one set of clothes. If she gets up and goes to school, she'll have that outfit on. But when she comes home, she's in something else. And then before she goes to bed, she'll be in something else. I told her, I go, when it's time to wash clothes, I have more of her clothes than I have anything else to wash because she's changing clothes. And I keep going, girl, you got to quit changing your clothes. We're running out of clothes. And, well, her uncle lived like three houses down from us. And we were going to go, I think it was Christmas shopping one year, and she, we were going to leave her with her aunt and uncle, her kids, and I sat in there. She goes, no, uh-uh. She started crying, whining, and I said, there, okay, we we're going to have to take her. When we took her, I would go one way with her. Her dad would go another way, and I'll tell him what to get. And then if she's, so she don't know, and get it paid for and then get it out to the car, and that way she don't know nothing. And then we'll shop to get all three of us to shop again and get something for her brother. That way we'll make her think she ain't getting us. <laughs> and then there'll be times I'll sneak off during the daytime and do the shopping. That way if she's in school or she's with her dad, that way she don't know nothing. But she was shy and bashful. She was, everybody said she took exactly like me. And if you would look at my baby pictures and her baby pictures, you would swear they were the same person. So when she was in school, at eight years old, what was that grade? What grade would it have been? First. First grade. So are there any of the kids from their first grade class that remember her? Are there any of those kids that would remember her or have contacted you? The only one that I know that remembers her was um, her friend Nicole that she was played with and always hung around with, and she had a ner- like a nervous breakdown. They had a counselor, her... She had a, they, I guess from what I understand, they sold the house and moved away to keep her out of the line. And I said, there, I can understand because she took it very, very hard. We had another girl that came to the city county building because her uncle was doing an interview and she said she was a good friend of April's. She went to school with her. She was in her class. And stood right next to her and talked to the reporters. And then found out after the interview, she didn't know April from Adam D. She didn't. She didn't go to school with her. She wasn't. She just wanted her face out there on the TV. I said, okay. let, I said, just let me find her. 
<laughs> so we've got people stealing from the garden, and we got people pretending to be your friend. Yeah. Okay, there's nuts out there everywhere, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, there's plenty of them out there. Wow. Okay, and uh, to make sure I ask this question, too, how's your husband doing? He's doing a lot better from, uh, well, from the time it started, he's... Actually, he shouldn't have been be still here. They, that's what at least that's what the doctor said. He should have died a long time ago, because when he was thirty four, he had a heart attack and a stroke. From then, it just went downhill. The last one he had was two thousand thirteen, right when we come back to October of that year. He was rushed to the hospital. They were going to do a triple bypass, but then they decided to do a quadruple which they took his heart out, did one side, and lifted over and found a real bad spot on the other side. And they, they said he died twice, brought him back, and he kept asking us, why did they bring him back? I said, well, there's a purpose why you had to come back. And that's when they came to the trailer and told us, they go, do you know who this dude is? Showed us pictures and said they arrested this guy. And we're sitting there looking at each other like, dumbfounded and ever since then he's doing pretty good he's living strong he's he's mean as ever but <laughs> so there's a reason why he yeah that's what i kept here. telling him i go that's the reason why they brought you back because mm-hmm. you had to be here to hear them say that they got to do that took april right and again to this day you still live this yes have you gotten counseling yet? <laughs> no, not really. So how did you end up getting hooked up with these Java girls or Java sisters? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but from what I've heard it's been from a while. Lo- yeah, from what I've heard from a lot of people, they're they're really good to talk to. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how, how much you've talked to them or talked yourself through this or worked it out with them because it's never going to end and you know it right no every year that goes by every birthday every holiday yeah that's why i'm encouraging or pushing the the counseling part i'm not a counselor i just been pushing it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, I like i tell everybody i said there yeah i i lived uh, through the um what john walsh always says when he always on, gets on tv once you're a parent of a murdered child you're a parent of a murdered child, I said, yep, never thought I'd be classified as a, in that, that category, but I guess I am. Hmm. So I know that the Fort Wayne Police Department, the FBI, uh, you had the county, you had state police. Yeah, I think I had, had everybody. Everybody was involved in this, and there was a lot of officers and detectives, troopers, uh, investigators that uh, still talk about it to this day. I mean, that case, your case, uh, April Tinsley's case, impacted them. It had touched their hearts, and when it was over, it still wasn't over for them either. Uh-uh. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Dan Camp several times. Yes. And, uh, I know him, and I know he was one that went after it at 100%. He was like a dog on a bone. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you were good to have him in your corner to talk to. He's a good man. Um, what am I missing to ask you? What do you? What have I you not talked about? Uh, not sure. <laughs> I think we <laughs> And we covered most. Mm-hmm. You mentioned me coming down the hallway. You always want to keep April's name and yep. story out in front. Yeah, everybody keeps telling me, you've done enough. <laughs> I said, there, I want to do something for the whole, not just April, but have like a, you, know, you got like the police memorial down, you got mm-hmm. one on Well Street, and you got one over on Baker. Yeah, right by the baseball stadium. And it, you, you got... You got them too. I said, just do it like a little memorial plaque for just say in memory of all homicide children or families that, you know. And every time I mention something like that, they'll go, don't you think you got enough? Don't you think your name's out there? I said, there's only one thing out there that's got her name. It's the garden. And then I'll get questions. Is she buried there? And I'll send her, no, she's not buried there. Because there's like a, a marker, and I said, no, there, no, she's not there. It's just a memorial garden. Now, everybody says I, I talk too much about her, and I'm sitting there. One thing that when I talk about her like that, constantly bring her up, it keeps me insane. I said, that's like my, more likely it's more like my counseling right there, because right. I'll sit there and 
keep talking about her. I do interviews. When I got to go to New York City and did Paul Zahn's show, that was more, I was more petrified than anything. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Every time I talk, it sounded like I was a little nervous. Mm-hmm. And then when I, if I do 15, 21, it didn't matter. And I do, I done a lot of podcasts. I did one for A&E. And then I have done one I love so much, and that was a Japanese group came from Japan. So I go, thank God they brought a tripper because I wouldn't know what the heck anybody was saying. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Janet, I'll tell you what. I really appreciate you doing this one and uh, getting April's story out and spending time with me today. And I hope this was therapeutic for you. Uh, that, uh, you know, like you said, your counseling. I hope yeah. this helped you. And I hope anyone is listening, they can understand your what you were going through during that time. I mean, because it wasn't easy. Uh-uh. And it still is not easy. No. But you enjoy talking about it, and it keeps April's name out there, which, yep. is, which is what we want. And for anybody, I mean, I know a lot of people have talked about this, but no one ever knew your side of it. No one ever has heard you really talk about it. We all knew about April, but... What you were going through, what your husband was going through, what your son was going through. No one knew all of that. No. And then all the struggles. But I appreciate you coming today, taking out of your day and talking <laughs> with me on my podcast. I don't care about that other podcast. I don't care about that. <laughs> no. But I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you very much. You're welcome. I appreciate that. And folks, thank you for listening to Police Pod Talk. And we will catch you again next week. Thanks again for hanging out with us. Remember, you can always go to policepodtalk at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook at Cleveland Junior or Police Pod Talk. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.